So Genesis 3, Genesis 3, verse 9. It says, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? I want you to keep just that one single verse, that short little passage. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind today. Um, we're going to get back to that in a bit, but I'm going to start with something just a little different, a little fun. I need a couple people, and I asked Jace if he could help me choose two people, and here's what I need. I need two people for a taste test, and it's a little bit of a challenge. Not hard, but a little bit. People that know their Coca-Cola, and they can tell what's real and what's fake. They can tell the real Coca-Cola from the other, you know, stuff. So I need just two people who can do that for me, and that's all I need. So two people, raise your hand, say, I got this. Like, this is not a problem for me. I can do this. It's not an issue. I can make sure this takes place, this happens. All right, bring, come on up. Come on up. Come on. I'm going to set this down over here. Wait, Joe, this is cheating. I don't know. Who'd you pick? You, there's three coming up here. I need two. Here, he sat down. All right. It's okay. Come up here. Come up here. Come up here. All the way up here. All the way up. Stage don't bite. I promise. Stage don't bite. Stage don't bite. I got three now, so we're going to have to share these, but that's all right. You all can decide how to share. Don't put your lips on there. That's what you're going to do, Steve. Don't put your lips on. You're going to share with him, all right? Yes. Okay. So we have this bottle says A, this bottle says one. Okay. This bottle says A, this bottle says one. One of them is real and one of them is, so one of them is Coca-Cola and the other one is just cola, you know, because real, yeah, if you go to Sam's, you know what their name of theirs? It's just cola. Yes. So I want you guys crack them open. Okay. Crack them open. Well, all three, y'all take a test, take a test. There he goes, okay. You got option A, take, take option one. How many of you guys say, I could do this, this is no problem. Okay, so you had option A, you had number one. So let's, let's see if you guys got it. Which one do you think is the real Coke? It's definitely A. He said A. Said A, said A. They all got it right. Now, now, why could you tell? Because Joe works for Coca Cola. <laughs> Cheater. The carbonation, the pssst, the little, the noise it made, the pssst. So it was the pssst that gave it away? Okay, the pssst. So, everybody, if you want to know if it's real Coke, what does it take, guys? The pssst. There you go. All right, so to thank you guys, Melanie is right over there, my wife. Um, she wants to get just your email address. So today, this is total side note. Um, you also have seen some of our staff wearing some merch. Today on our website, our merch stuff goes live. And here's what I want us to know. Here's what I want us to know. This is, this is a tool. When we put our numbers on, it's a tool. So that people's like, what in the world is that? Know your verses. Know them. 1 John 4.19 says you're loved. Matthew 4.19 says you're called. Philippians 4.19 says that God cares for every single one of your needs. So I've got a gift for y'all. So if you go see Melanie, she'll get you set up with some, so that we can get you some merch. Go see her right down there. Um, go see her right down there. I'm going to get all this stuff out of my way. Um, but the way that we could tell 
It's real. Apparently, it was by the. Psst. I didn't know that that was a thing, um, but it is. I'm going to hand this to Jace because I got too many things up here. Otherwise, there you go. But even though Sam's does their very best to make something that tastes just like Coke, those of us who have tasted the real thing, we just know the difference. You can tell the difference. It may look the same, but the ingredients that make it up are, are just different. It's a, it's a good replica. It's a, it's, a, it's a good fake, but it's not the real thing. I've got some stuff in my pockets. It's money. Look at it. Hundreds, guys. Now, but one of these is actually real. I don't have a whole bunch. But one of them is real. And if I showed them all to you like this, you might be, I don't know, which one is it? But if you felt it, you know what you'd know right away? One of them is real and one of them is not. Because any of us who have handled any kind of cash, we know what the real thing feels like. And I used to work as a bank teller. And let me tell you how mad people would get when they'd give me a counterfeit bill and they didn't know it. Because guess what happens? I keep it and you don't get anything. There's a price when you're just messing with counterfeit, when you're not dealing with the real thing. And today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live authentically, to not come across fake. Because this money has, all the fake money has no real value other than at a distance, it can kind of look real. If I was to open up my wallet and you see all these hundreds, you'd be like, oh, maybe that guy's a baller. Like, what's going on? What are they paying this pastor around here? This don't make any sense. At a distance, it looks maybe like you're putting on a, a show. And sometimes when we're inauthentic, when we're, when we're kind of living a fake life, we keep people at a distance. Because we don't want them to see all the things that we're really hiding on the inside. We don't want them to see that the ingredients of our life are a little messed up. We don't want them to see that, you know what, if you get a little bit too close and we start getting each other's feelings, you'll see that I'm really just putting on a front. So we keep people at a distance. We live in a way that really is in a way that God wants us to live. It's something that he wants to set us free from. And the problem today that we're going to talk about is inauthentic living. Because when we have inauthentic living, when we're living with a fake false image, we start having inauthentic faith. And what that looks like is when our faith cares more about our appearance than what's truly on the inside, it loses its worth. It loses its value. If all I care about with that cash is what it looks like on the outside, man, it, it could be worthless and I can still be flashing around. Sometimes we call ourselves Christians and we flaunt it around, but on the inside, there's no actual change that's taken place. And it's, it's got no real value. The difference is what? are the ingredients. What makes it up? And I start there because I've, I've been around church. I've been a follower of Christ for a while now. And, and I've seen it firsthand how easy it can be to have a superficial relationship. To have a church that knows how to put on a good show. But on the inside, things are, are not the way they appear on the out. How easy it is to put on a superficial front of Christianity, but honestly, we're living a, a life that's not really changed. If we keep it all at a distance, it looks good. But if you get too close, you'll see things are really just falling apart. And it's an awful way to, to spend your life. 
And what we do sometimes is we try to manage the perception of others and we present an outward appearance that doesn't really show what's inward in our heart. And honestly, that's a world we currently live in. It's a world where the, the image that we present a lot of times isn't what takes place. We live in, you know, Instagram, put a filter on it, make it look good, get your best picture. And even now we have people posting pictures saying, you know, unfiltered, no makeup. But really all they really are caring about is continuing to create a false image of authenticity. We'll post the pictures, no filter, but really we're just, again, we're just saying, man, I want you to see who I, who I am, and, and, and we're just continuing to put on this, this false front. Today, we're continuing our series, and we're, we're going through the core values as a church. You know, we've recently re- relaunched, and we said, what are the core values? What are the things that we want to step into? What are the fresh kicks that we want to walk forward with? And we've been talking through these, and today we're, we're talking about one that I think if you get all the rest of them, but you don't get this one. You can, you're going to learn how to do life real fake, but you won't feel any change on the inside. So this core value we're going to talk about today is simply this. As a church and as you, I'd want this to be the same. Authenticity is going to be our approach. As a church, we want authenticity to be our approach. Personally, I would encourage you to try to lean into this as well. Let authenticity be the way that you approach life. We want to be a church that's authentic and we want to be full of people that are authentic. That we aren't flashing around what's fake. We aren't trying to fake somebody out with false ingredients, but that we're being true and we're being real. Because living inauthentically, putting on a show is real dangerous. The scripture talks about how dangerous hypocrisy is. And that's what it kind of all boils down to. In Acts chapter 5, if you guys can turn there with me. Turn with me to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5 is one of the most kind of obscure passages in Scripture. So lucky you, you get to have obscure passage today. In Acts chapter 5, we're going to read this passage, but I want to get you kind of caught up on the background of what's happening here. So in the book of Acts we see a movement begin. And it's a movement called the church. You know, Jesus has given his life. He's put on a cross to pay for our sins and to reconcile us with God. He raises from the dead and now there's a a victory that we are set free from sin. We can completely be forgiven. Jesus is victorious. And then he returns to heaven. The disciples and some followers, they wait, and God sends his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit now comes to rest inside all of us, including you if you're a follower of Christ. God wants to dwell inside of you, to give you power that you, it's not of you at all. So they wait, God sends the Holy Spirit, and the church explodes. Peter gives the first message. People get, give their life to Jesus. They're set free. They be, can begin claiming that Jesus is Lord. And in Acts 2, we see that it says they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles. They worshiped together. They were generous together. And then it says the Lord added to their number daily. The amount of people that were giving their life to Christ was, was every single day was being added. And then in Acts chapter 4, we meet this guy 
named Joseph. And we'll come to know this guy named Joseph by the name of Barnabas. We'll come to know him as Barnabas. And in Acts 4, at the very end of Acts 4, Barnabas sells a field. And Barnabas sells a field and he takes all of the money he makes from this field that says he lays it at the apostles' feet. So he says, I'm giving this to the church. You guys, you do with it what you need to make sure the message of the gospel continues. So Barnabas does this amazing act of faith, super generous, and he puts it down. And how many of you guys know, when you sometimes take a big step of faith and generosity, it's going to attract attention. It doesn't say it necessarily in here, but I guarantee you, people are like, wow, way to go, Barnabas. Man, did you, did you hear what he did? He's, he sold the whole field, and then he just gave it all away. And I'm sure people were like, man, that's so encouraging. That's so exciting. I can't believe someone would be willing to do that. And there's a murmur of way to go. Good job. How amazing. How good is our God? And then we get to Acts chapter 5. It says, now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard those events. And this is a weird text. It's a great text if you're trying to raise money. Yeah. I, I did not plan this for Big Gift Sunday, I promise. We're not talking about giving and generosity today, but you want to scare the tar out of people? Let's pass the buckets, you know, give or you might be carried out of this place. That is not what I want us to talk about today. That's not what I see here. And so I want to know, within what's going on here? Why this escalated really fast? We have to think, what was, what was the sin here? What happened? What was, what was behind all of this? And you might say, well, it was greed. They were greedy. And as I was studying and you read a lot of commentaries, a lot of them would say greed, and I think that is there. But I don't think that's the total root of what's at play here. Because obviously they loved money because they kept back some for themselves, but... I don't know that that's the problem because if I was to go and sell something, maybe I sell my house. I have sold my house just this last year and I get a profit. I don't think God is saying, you have to give me every single piece of that. If I, if I decide to keep 
it for myself, I don't think God's mad or angry at that. If I decide to give just part of it, I don't think God's mad or angry at that as long as I'm being obedient to what he's asked me to do. So I don't think the core thing is they didn't give their all. I don't think the core root of the sin here is greed. I don't feel like that's what God was upset about. And so if, if, if truly Ananias and Sapphira were, were motivated by greed, they would have sold the land and then you know what they would have done? Just kept it all. If they were greedy, they would have sold it and kept every single piece of it. But it said they sold it and then they gave some of it. So maybe you're like, well, the main sin here is then it's, it's lying, it's deception. You know, Peter says, he says, you lied not just to me, but also to God. So deception is at play here, big time. Greed is also at play here. But verse 4, Peter says this. He's talking to Ananias. He said, it's your money. He said, you, basically, he said, this was, this was your money. You could use it however you wanted to. It's like, you could have done with it what you want, but we got to look into the context. Remember, Barnabas has just sold this field. Barnabas has just done this thing that I'm sure has attracted attention. And he, Barnabas, I'm sure, didn't do it to attract attention. He did it because he felt like that's what God had called him to do. And right after that, in chapter 5, we see Ananias and Sapphira. It says, and they also sold a field. I think the root of what was going on here is that they were putting on a show. The root of what was going on here is they cared more about the outward appearance of what other people thought about them than what God had asked them to do. And that's a root that really it digs into a lot of us. And then we have to ask ourselves this question, why did God, he responded like real harsh, real quick. What happened? What's going on there? I think it's because hypocrisy, fakery, really, really grieves the heart of God. And he wanted to show us right there in the early church, I'm not dealing with this. I don't want any part of this in my church. I think it grieves God when we're more concerned with trying to control the perception, the narrative about what others think than being real with him. I think it grieves God when we're saying, I want, I want people to know me and to care what I think. It grieves them. It makes them sad when that's what our main purpose is more than just really worshiping and spending time with God. Jesus spoke about this. You know, he was surrounded by religious leaders who were real good at looking good on the outside, but on the inside, man, it was always all about them. Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, we have to think, if our sole focus is what other people think about us, if our sole thing that we care most about is pleasing other people, then who are we really serving and worshiping? Is it other people's opinions? Is it myself? If our sole priority is, is making other people's perception of us think a certain way, to be an inauthentic Christian means this. To be an inauthentic Christian means this. It means you must praise God 
while at the same time pretending that he doesn't know the truth of what's going on in your life. To be inauthentic means I'm going to worship God, but then pretend that he doesn't actually know everything. So I don't really believe in the full power of God because I'll play pretend with God. God doesn't want to be played pretend with, guys. And we all, we all fall into this trap sometimes, but I want us to do our best to strive to be authentic, to get out of this mindset. So at 419, we want to be authentic. That's just another word for, we want to keep it real. We want to be real. That money that I showed you, the markings looked real, but it was, it was, still, it was still fake. Mate, the material that made it looked like it was right, but you feel it, and you know, this, this isn't real. So we're going to talk about just a few things that we want to do to step towards authenticity. And I'm going to start with point number two today. Things and people that we need to keep it real with. And the first one is this. Point number two, we need to keep it real with yourself. You need to keep it real with yourself. You've got to do this thing. You've got to check your motive. And the way you do that is by asking a simple question. Why am I doing this? And then that dot, dot, dot. You have to ask yourself, really, why am I doing this? If you want to be real, if you want to be authentic, you have to check your motives. You have to ask, you know, why am I doing this? Every week, I have to check my motive. I have to come up here and say, God, okay, I'm writing this message. And sometimes I write a message and I'll put, I, I know I can say something real stupid and get you guys all to laugh. I can do something silly. I can talk like last week and tell stories that, you know, about how I leave my junk everywhere. And I saw Miss Lynn this week at Walmart and she saw me picking something up and she said, you better put that back where it goes. <laughs> and I know, but then I have, to, I have to say, okay, God, is this what you want me to put here? Or is this just because I'm trying to get a reaction? Because I'd much rather speak your words than use mine to pull on people's emotions. I have to check my motive every single week. And man, I've had to do this a lot. You know, I've been challenged a lot in the past few months to check my motive. Becoming a new, pa a a new lead pastor, moving here, meeting new people. I mean, when you, when when you want to be the lead pastor, you have people that are voting on if they like you. Like that, it's really tempting then to just put on a show. You have people that are trying to decide, do we like this person or not? And then you become the lead pastor and some people, man, they're like, we love you. But then you got a bunch of like, man, we don't like you at all. We're leaving. And it's really tempting to just be like, okay, let me put on a show and try to be what they want me to be instead of who God wants me to be. And it's not something that I just struggle with. It's something you all struggle with. You all know what that feels like. It can be really tempting to just put on a show, to let insecurity, because that's really what it is. We all have insecurities, but we can be tempted to let insecurity rule the day and let other people's praise be more important than following God. And man, I can do this real well if I want to. I grew up with a dad who was a salesman. And he wasn't just a salesman, he was a good salesman. He could sell, I don't know, you know, all those dumb, trite things. He could do all those things that we say. And I watched him and I learned from him. And man, I can manipulate folks if I want to. You know, I, I learned really well to just fake it, not till they make it, but until they buy it. But I've just decided, man, I can't be like that because that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of, 
that takes a lot of remembering what you said to this person and to this person and to this person and trying to keep it straight. That's just tiring to do. But we're all tempted to do this because really what we want is we want people to like us. And so sometimes we're inauthentic because we want people to like us. Ananias and Sapphira were inauthentic in their generosity and I guarantee you one of their primary motivators is we want people to see us and to like us. But it's this weird thing because we want people to like us, but you know who people like? Authentic, real people. People like real people. But we sometimes put a, a fake persona. And it's this strange trap that the enemy wants to keep us in. People like real people. And as, as you get to know me and as I leave this church, man, that's, that's really all I know how to be anymore is just real. Sometimes it's a little too blunt and harsh. I get told that and I try to calm that and temper that down. I really do. But if you meet me off stage and you meet me on stage, I might be a little bit different because hopefully up here I'm being anointed and used by God in a whole different way. But I try to be just the same person. I try to be the person that's consistent. And that's the church that we want to be, that we're not just full of people who know how to put on a good show on Sunday that know how to praise and worship and talk about serving on a Sunday and then go live differently every single day of the week. Let's be authentic, genuine people. And when we do make mistakes, that we're willing to own up to them, to tell them. So we have to ask ourselves, what is our motive? Why am I doing this? Why did I really buy that? I mean, I've ever bought something. Just so that it could look good to somebody else. Why did I really buy that car or that house? Why did I really do that? Why in the world am I in this relationship still? Sometimes it's why didn't I do that thing? Why didn't I go to that place? Why didn't I take that risk? Our motive a lot of times is what kind of traps us and keeps us in trouble. And I, I want you guys, we really have to assess these questions constantly. There's three, three of them. Do I want people to think better of me than I really am? So if you want people to think better of you than you really are, maybe your motive's a little off. Does it bother me when people don't notice me? Do I modify my actions to make sure others notice me? If those answers to that are yes, you're completely normal. We all do that. But we don't have to stay there. That's completely normal. But we don't have to stay there because that... It's saying, I'm motivated by what others see. My primary motivator is other people. That's a trap. That's a stranglehold. That feels gross. Authenticity is a life of freedom. When we acknowledge our true motives, what we do is we open up. We open up the door for God to work in us. When we say, God, here's really what my motive is, it opens up the door for him to work on us, to refine us, to make us better. When we're really true and honest with ourselves, I guarantee you they lied to themselves, Ananias and Sapphira. They convinced themselves that what they were doing was actually a good move because they didn't pause and really check what's, what's our actual motive, really. That dot, 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 really, because we can lie to ourselves, but when we pause for a minute, sometimes it really reveals what it is. Now, here's what I want you to hear that I'm not saying. I'm not saying we shouldn't care what other people think. We should value the opinions of other people. We should collaborate. We should, otherwise, you know, half of us wouldn't bathe very regularly. Um, we'd eat junk all the time. You know, if, if, all, if we lived the lifestyle, I don't care what anybody thinks. 
You know, I hear people say that. I'm like, you liar. Like, you're, we all, we all, there's a necessary societal structure that comes from us, you know, wanting to, to be around other people and valuing other people's opinions. But the thing is, they can't be the primary motivator. So, caring about what other people think, that's not the problem. It's caring what, about what other people think more than what God thinks. That's the problem. So, we do have to walk in authenticity with ourselves, but then we have to walk in authenticity with other people, which means we have to keep it real with others. We have to keep it real with other people. And that's the, simply this word vulnerability. And the question is, who really, really knows you? Vulnerability is a difficult thing because it makes us feel like maybe we're like weak when really it's an ultimate strength to be willing to be vulnerable with somebody else. But it's a scary thing to do. But we have to surround ourselves with other people who we can trust, that we can be vulnerable to. In our passage of scripture, Peter was looking for some vulnerability. He called them to account. First he called Ananias, and then he, he really gave his wife. He said, hey, tell me about, so he's calling her to account. He's calling her to be vulnerable. Tell me about, did you really, is this all the money you made? And she still just continued to lie. She wasn't willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, you know what? <sighs> no. There's a vulnerability that she's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be real with you. I'm going to be fake. And it's scary. Like I said, it can be scary to be vulnerable with other people. And, and here's what I want us to hear. Everyone does not need to know everything. But someone needs to know. Don't be the person that goes in a small group, because I've been in these. And you're sitting around the table, and it's like week one, a small group, and you don't know most of these people. And they're like, yeah, I cheated on my wife one time. I drink every night, and I kicked my dog yesterday. Like, don't be that person right from the get. Because some people don't know what to do with that. Some people might say stuff. You've got to be careful. Everyone doesn't need to know everything, but somebody needs to know. And if that only somebody is you, if that only somebody is God, man, somebody else needs to know that you can be vulnerable to. Someone needs to know your struggles. Galatians 6.2 says this. It says, carry each other's burdens. And then this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. We're we're created to do life with other people. We're created to do life in relationship with other people. You know, James talks about confessing your sins to one another. That's vulnerability. That's an openness to letting other people know about the struggles that you have. Your weaknesses. It's, it's inviting people along into your spiritual journey with you. Brene Brown, she speaks a lot about vulnerability um, she talks a lot about authenticity, not always from a Christian perspective, but she's done a lot of research and study on this, probably more than anyone when it comes to authenticity and vulnerability. And she says, vulnerability is the last thing I want you to see in me and the first thing I look for in you. We all want other people that are vulnerable, but we sometimes don't want to be vulnerable with anybody because it's like that cash and we keep people at a distance, we still seem like we're valuable and we got it all together. But you get a little bit too close and you'll start to see who we really are. And we don't want people to know who we really are. But the thing is, God created us to be open. God created us to have friendships and community with people who know who we really are because 
when we have good friends, when we have good spouses, when we have good relationships, they can call us out on stuff. They can hold us to account. Like Peter was trying to do with Sapphira. Tell me what really is going on. I love, I've got some really good friends who they'll be from time to time. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Hey, I'm going to call you just a sec. They call me. How's it going? I'm good, man. Man, I could tell you're not. Something's going on. You guys, we need, you all need some friends like that. We need some people who can call us to account, who can be vulnerable to and who we can open up to, who can see past our facade. And as a church, we want to be a church that's vulnerable. What that looks like as a church, it means talking about things that nobody wants to talk about. Vulnerability means a lot of times talking about the things that you're dealing with that nobody wants to talk about. As a church, it means talking about the things that everybody, a lot of you guys deal with, but we don't like to talk about. Like how many of you guys know sometimes we doubt God? We don't talk about that very much in church. We should. How many of you guys know that sometimes it's really hard when things aren't going your way and prayer goes unanswered? We don't talk about that a lot. We should. We don't talk a lot about our mental health struggles and some of the things that really are bringing anxiety and what that truly is. We don't talk about that enough. We should. We're going to. We don't talk enough about sexuality. We're afraid of some of those type of words. We don't talk enough about God wants to set us free from addictions and we're afraid to admit to other people that we have struggles. Man, let's not be that church. Let's be the church that's authentic, that talks about the stuff that other people don't want to talk about. And we're saying, hey, we're willing to be vulnerable with each other and we're going to go to scripture and see what it says. Because we're not just going to be vulnerable and out here. No, we're going to say, okay, what does scripture have to say about this issue? Remember, that's our standard. Scripture's our standard. So we're willing to be vulnerable because we believe God is going to show us his perspective on all of this. We're going to talk about these things. So that was point number three, and I want to get to point number one. The one that we really have to keep it real with, that's God. If we don't start here, the rest of them don't matter. And the way we keep it real with God is just this simple word, repentance which is a turn from who we are to follow Jesus. And we go all the way back to that first question in Genesis chapter 3. It was a simple question of where are you? Where are you? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned and they're trying to hide from God. And God calls out to Adam, where are you? And it's not because God doesn't know where he is. It's not a question of location. He's asking a simple question. Adam, where'd you go? Where are you in relationship with me? And it's a question that I think continues to echo through the ages. And God is asking you the same question. Hey guys, where are you? Really, where are you? And are you being authentic with God that you can assess and say, okay, God, here's where I am, man. I'm struggling with this, God. I need your help. God, here's where I am. Are you hiding? Because Adam and Eve tried to hide. And here's what they, they, they tried to hide. And then they tried to, they all of a sudden felt this shame and guilt. And you know what they did? They tried to cover up their shame and guilt with fig leaves. And we read that, but we do the same thing. We're dealing with struggles and sin and things that bring shame and doubt. And we just try to cover up 
all those things with the fig leaves of fakery. Smile. Don't let anybody know what you're actually going through. And that's why we've got to start with this question. And God's looking at each and every one of you and saying, where are you? And when he was saying that to Adam and Eve, he wasn't saying it as a, as a condemnation, but just a, a care. Because eventually, yeah, there was, there was going to be a consequence, but he was going to first reconcile. And he said, you're covering up your stuff with fig leaves. And he gives them skins to wear. He provides them with fresh clothes. And it's a precursor to what Jesus would eventually do for us. That we try to cover up all of our sin and our shame and our junk with our fakery and our, our righteous acts and God's like, where are you at? I have something to clothe you in. It's my righteousness only through Jesus. We have to come out of hiding. We have to reveal ourselves. We have to say, okay, God, here, here, here's just, this is it. This is who I am. Sin, shame, good, bad, everything I have, this is it. It can be easy to hide, but bringing your true self to God is when we're fully, fully known.